on today's show. I wrote a post, eight things to know before dating an entrepreneur, which um, was probably one of my more popular posts only because <laughs> I, <laughs> and it was equally popular both with the, the uh, entrepreneurs themselves and then the people trying to figure out how the hell to date them, yeah. how the heck to date them, because um, they really are their own breed of, in my case, boyfriend. Um, they... Uh, uh, you know the 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 novelty seeking the um, the impulsivity, the curiosity, the open mindedness. It brings with it its own set of um, of, of of curiosities that can be very yeah. challenging um, in a relationship. <laughs> they don't like uh, you know they sort of go into entrepreneurship because. Um, they want to be the boss mm-hmm. and because they want something new every day mm-hmm. and uh, that doesn't always lend <laughs> itself to being in a in a relationship but I also think that um, those same qualities can make being in a relationship extremely uh, rewarding and if nothing else very very interesting yeah. <laughs> Five, four, Hey everyone, it's Eric. Uh, On today's episode, we're going to meet a a young woman who truly has made me rethink a a lot about mindset, particularly of innovators and creators. And uh, Jessica Carson is someone who has sort of uh, gone through the full gamut. We'll hear about her adventures breaking into tech, understanding what it's like to sort of be an, an outsider in the world of, of venture capital. Um, and ultimately today, she released a new um, publication called The Disruptor Syndrome, where she analyzes some of the core sort of mental challenges and struggles that disruptors and innovators and creators have. And in our in our discussion, we dive into some of the aspects that are both superpowers for the creator, but also some of those elements that make them lonely. And one of the things I thought was most fascinating about our conversation that lines up to what I've seen is that to be a really great creator, you're often going to need someone who could be your coach, your Sherpa, your guide. And you'll hear some of Jess's stories, uh, even about dating creators and what she learned from those experiences. Uh, her writing is terrific. I think um, her blog, Color for Cortex, does share some really interesting insights. In particular, I think I found some ways to think about how to, to deal with some of the struggles, the imposter syndrome, the issues that people have when they're thinking about what it's like to be a creator and ultimately the mental struggles, the FOMO, the imposter syndrome, all those things that that we wrestle with. Um, so we'll dive into as much as we can. I probably could have spoken to her for for hours, but we talk about some of the core things that she's she's previewed in her her series, The Disruptor Syndrome, um, about mental health, about psychology, her own journeys um, as a, an outsider in a lot of ways into the world of startups and venture capital. So it's a great episode. I'm really excited to share it with you. And I think hopefully it'll help you unlock the thoughts about how do you process these sort of sort of insecurities and fears that emerge when you decide to, to be a creator, take a risk and create your own book, your podcast, your video series, whatever it may be, uh, to know that you're going to go outside of the confines of kind of the support structures we have and to be able to create. Uh, you may need to think about kind of some of the challenges you'll face and, uh, and having some of these insights that Jess shares is terrific. Jess Carson, everyone. It is so great to be here with you today, <laughs> Jess. Um, I, uh, it's sort of, it's been, it's been such a pleasure for me to kind of see you in sort of these adventures that have happened, which feels like in a lifetime, but it's happened over a relatively short time. We have some stories. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. All the things we have done together. <laughs> I know. I know. So, so to set the context, just, uh, I want to, talk about why I like texted you on a Sunday morning saying I have to I have to sit down and talk to you about about yeah. what you're doing it's because you're you've put out a new series mm-hmm. that you're early in testing in some ways <laughs> um, but the series on on disruptors yes. and I think I want to read a quote that I found so inspiring in the first piece which was which was this and you use the word disruptors and we talked earlier about the word disruptors is can, is a big pool of people who are entrepreneurs, you know, and not entrepreneurs, but thinking in that different way. And yes. you know, I often use the word creators, but I think they're basically the same for all intents and purposes. But here's the quote that I I, I saw, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to talk Jess. So here it is: <laughs> disruptors are wired for potency in every sense of the word. A 
Every feature of them is designed for manifestation. Their bodies are lightning rods for energy. Their minds are cabled for novelty. Their spirits are driven by exploration. But the disruptor's inborn nature is a gift and a curse. These striking features also make them uniquely vulnerable. A great double-edged sword, their most valuable qualities leave them susceptible for psychological, physical, and spiritual distress. Mm, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. But, but, it's, <laughs> but it's amazing. I think what I loved yeah. about it so much so is I think you've highlighted something that we chatted about before the show yeah. began, which is this sort of challenge that these magical beings out there, the creators, people who are doing books and podcasts and companies, they have. And that is that they leave the sort of the common nest and they go off on their own. So tell me why this class of human, the disruptor, the creator was so interesting to you to study. Oh my gosh, where do I begin? Well, so it all started when I was um, a neuroscience and psychology researcher at the National Institutes of Health and at the time was starting to um, develop a lot of friendships and relationships in the startup entrepreneurship VC space in DC. And the first thing that struck me about this group was the magnetism, Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, when you were around these people and these people that I was sort of being exposed to for the first time in my life, because I had really just kind of been in academia, um, being around them was, was magnetic. It's palpable. It's Mm -hmm. like biting on aluminum foil. And there was just something different and weird and awesome about these people. And so that got me started on my journey into startups, uh, and, and venture capital. Um, and now kind of tying that back into the world of psychology, but, um, having that framework and, and that, um, knowledge base in psychology sort of made me, um, move into all of my interactions, all of my jobs with this uh, very um, uh, acute awareness of why these people are the way they are, why they have these sort of psychological idiosyncrasies, these emotional idiosyncrasies, and why they are this energetically powerful. Um, And then the the sort of... uh, Before you even go that you write in one of your blog posts, you talk about even dating someone who's mm-hmm. sort of the entrepreneur, right? You talk about <laughs> just that like almost it's it's like night and day. Like yeah. there's this like, you know, there, there's the joke about dating the bad boy, but this is a different type. Like mm-hmm. this is sort of the energy that also has its pluses and minuses. So, so you know, tell me about that that dating. <laughs> I mean, not to put you on the spot, you don't have to use it. No, names, but, absolutely. But there's something about it, that the magnetism that you write in, in your, your blog and, and it's, you, you sort of see this yeah. in a different way. Yeah, um, I wrote a post, Eight Things to Know Before Dating an Entrepreneur, which um, was probably one of my more popular posts only because I, (laughs) and it was equally popular both with the the, uh, entrepreneurs themselves and then the people trying to figure out how the hell to date them, how the heck to date them, because um, they really are their own breed of, in my case, boyfriend. Um, They, uh, um, you know, the, the, the novelty seeking, the... Um, the impulsivity, the curiosity, the open-mindedness, it brings with it its own set of, um, of, of, of curiosities that can be very yeah. challenging um, in a relationship. <laughs> they don't like, uh, you know, they sort of go into entrepreneurship because um, they want to be the boss mm-hmm. and because they want something new every day. Mm-hmm. And um, that doesn't always lend <laughs> Itself to being in a in a relationship, but I also think that um, those same qualities can make being in a relationship extremely uh, rewarding, and if nothing else, very very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a a good way to say. I, you know, I think, and I think what was what was interesting about some of the ways you describe dating entrepreneurs is is probably similar to what we experienced when we were you know in the investment side too. Yeah. There's something about that sort of I will believe whatever you're selling, right? Kind mm-hmm. of, kind of, kind of thing. And I think there's why oftentimes people say you need someone who has that sort of that it factor. Yeah. And I think it plays out both in when you're seeking capital from, you know, in the venture capital space as well as that. And, and it's, it, you know, really quickly, I had a co-founder named Bo Fishback and, uh, Bo is not a particularly attractive man, but man, he just could attract people. So it's not necessarily <laughs> about physical attractiveness per se. It's yeah. much more so about that that factor that makes you feel like you're the most special person in the world, whether it's investing or whether it's dating. Absolutely. And they really do. They have that that um, that equality, but 
the problem is they oftentimes know it, right? And so, <laughs> I mean, real, the the one of the first entrepreneurs that I, uh, you know, attempted to date, it was this constant sort of um, uh, uh, battle to be the the um, most novel thing on the menu. Mm-hmm. It was uh, competing for the very sort of flighty uh, Labrador retriever attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, since then, I think I've refined the art of it a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> it definitely um, is, is, is an interesting um interesting area to, to study. I think someone should, should pursue it full time. Nah, no, maybe not the dating part, but the study of that for yeah. sure. Um, and, and so you've, you've, you've had this really unique sort of arc to your mm-hmm. journey of, of understanding and studying this class of human, the creator, the, the disruptor. And I think you, you went from sort of no exposure to, you know, a lot of exposure through Ivy and through venture capital investing, yeah. where we got to spend a lot of time together. And, and now you mm-hmm. sort of taking it back in some ways back to the psychology side yeah. of it. What was the thing that was the most surprising as you started to sort of reflect and tie these pieces together saying, all right, there's something unique going on about these brains more mm. so than just like it's attractiveness, but there's something unique about them that said, I need to, I need to understand. Yeah. Well, and a lot of it came through both friendships, but also relationships just by their intimate nature. Um, and recognizing that, uh, um, even the entrepreneurs, the disruptors, the innovators, the influencers, the trendsetters, the go-getters, the, the, you know, with the most impeccable resumes, the perfect LinkedIn's, the fabulous networks, um, they were harboring some of the, um, the, 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 the most palpable funks that mm. were really, um, really surprising to me as I got to know them. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm very grateful and, 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 um, glad that, you know, these people have, have trusted me and, mm-hmm. and opened up to me. But, uh, the anxiety, the depression, the addiction, the, um, the, the, the eating disorders, the phobias, the OCD, the, um, uh, you know, it, it, it really kind of um, runs the gamut, seem to be particularly not only common, but also uniquely potent mm-hmm. in these disruptors. And I wanted to try to figure out, is it, you know, was it um, causation? Was mm-hmm. it correlation? What was the sort of chicken and egg uh, situation? Was their environment, their, um, you know, their job sort of uh, igniting this in them, or was it something that, um, because of their tendency, their proclivity to go in these these sort of uh, extreme directions on the psychological, emotional, spiritual ends of the spectrum, um, actually made them more likely to be a better entrepreneur and, and dig into that, and um, and that actually does turn out to be the case. Yeah, and we talked we talked earlier. One of the things that we sort of shared together is you've. You know, a number of entrepreneurs have sort of confided in you just to say, like knowing your background in psychology and yeah. research to sort of say, I, I don't know what's going on. I need help. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing that I think there is this tension between needing, recognizing help and, and seeking it that mm-hmm. sort of is lacking this concept of like, you know, we talk about Steve Jobs having yeah. a, a coach like Bill Campbell and, uh, you know, Larry Page and the others. So there's this real tension of like, I have problems. I can recognize them and doing something about it. Well, and I think one of, the major reasons that is, is because, and, and one of the posts that I wrote is on impression management, there is this great stigma, um, especially in the entrepreneurial community, especially if you're raising venture capital, that you have to be extremely locked down about your private life, especially anything that could threaten right. um, your chances of, of investment or, or your chances of being able to uh, hire the employees you want or maintain the you know impeccable reputation. And I think that we've seen examples of this go awry in in the startup world where um you know someone gets into a funk or goes down a spiral and it ends up only you know not only not great for them but not great for their company right and so there 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 is this um i think incorrect perception that uh disruptors should not seek help <laughs> for these these issues and, and in fact I think it's opposite mm-hmm. I think that um, the more vulnerable and open and honest they are it's um, not only is it a, a, a burden off their shoulders but um, it's also refreshing because what is most personal is most universal and that in sharing those um, kind of dirty secrets yeah. you end up um, really engendering 
I think enhanced loyalty mm-hmm. and um, and and affection from mm-hmm. your your fans, from your employees, from whoever it is that you're seeking approval mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's so so. You know, I want to make a general plug to to check out your your blog, which is colorfulcortex.co. <laughs> we'll 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 link to it. But I think this is it was fascinating to sort of read through, and and I um I am an entrepreneur, so I you know I come from this creator world. So reading it, I felt like at times I was like. Is she talking to me? Like it was very, it was very much. I mean, you well, know, we I, did I, sit next to yeah, each I, other for. That's true. That's true. We uh, you inspired yeah. half the article. Oh god, that's I hope not. <laughs> well, but I, but I think that what was interesting is the the questions that you yeah. ask the creator or the disruptor to ask are ones that I think are universal for the sort of tensions tensions we have. So I want to spend a few minutes going through a couple of them because sure. I think that there was some. I, I think it's instructive for people to talk through and talk. So I want to I want to take a couple of these that I thought were particularly interesting. And a lot of what I want this sort of episode to be about is thinking about that with the the heavy is the burden that, mm-hmm. that the creator and the disruptor wears that there are consequences to it. Yeah. And I think you highlight some of them, and I'd love to get your take on how someone who is making this choice to create something can deal with some of these mental um, sort of challenges they'll feel as they go through it. So the first one, you you aptly title FOMO, uh, <laughs> which, I think is, which I think is good. And the summary of it is sort of novelty versus commitment is kind yeah. of the, a lot of these things are sort of extremes, the novelty mm-hmm. to commitment side, you know, and everything is sort of grayish. But I want to read a quick quote that I found to be pretty compelling. And then maybe you can talk a little bit about what you observed and how, you know, what you observed and what some of the things that people can think about as they, yes. they think this one. So and here's your quote from, from the article. The issue is not that disruptors don't have the ability to commit. It's that they don't often know what to commit mm-hmm. to. It's impossible to prioritize your decisions until you know your values. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, uh, you know, know thyself, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, talk about what you observed with sort of the, these folks and FOMO and, and this concept. Yeah. So sort of part of the job description with being an entrepreneur, being a disruptor is that you have to be curious and open-minded and, and um, novelty seeking. And um, actually novelty seeking is directly correlated with the entrepreneurial persona um, and novelty seeking and sensation seeking as defined by um, the, the, the need to constantly experience newness, freshness, um, you know, sort of never experience the same day twice. And again, this goes back to, you know, being in a relationship, <laughs> sometimes being very difficult with entrepreneurs. But um, but because of this uh, inherent aspect of their personality that makes them so good at going out and exploring their world and poking at their world and, you know, turning over rocks and seeing, you know, the worms that are under there and saying, this is an opportunity to do something, that also um, means that whether in their personal or their professional lives, they don't often commit to mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And the identity is uh, formed through through committing to to people, to ideologies, to mm-hmm. practices, to values, to the values. Said, right? Yes, yeah. and so um, what I and 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 having sort of a entrepreneurial disposition myself. Right. I mean, I write from a place of, of knowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I started to, in and in all of the articles, um, sort of give up my own experience with it and uh, uh, to, to sort of make it easier to process for the reader. And so for me, you know, I, I found that, um, you know, I was likely to sort of change jobs quickly before um, really learning uh, in, intensely and in depth from one or changing relationships or friend groups a lot, sort of always wanting to experience different things when, with different people. And uh, the sort of case uh, that, that I made, again, through my own experience, that FOMO is this really interesting magnet and spotlight because it directs you to your values. Mm-hmm. Um, you can basically say that um, because I have a FOMO, which causes me to jump around to different jobs, it means that I value um, you know, professional growth and development in a meaningful career. And uh, when, when your FOMO is sort of reframed as a way to actually identify uh, and, and so- tap into your values, um, it becomes less of a, maybe a stigmatizing or a scary thing and more of an education where yeah. you can say, Oh, I'm actually I'm I'm exploring all these relationships because what I really seek is a deep, meaningful, intimate relationship. Um, we talk I, about the I uh, I have described this before as sort of creators are oftentimes uh, 
they can harness this in a way to basically iterate yeah. rapidly. Yeah. But I think the important thing that you sort of have, have, have spotlighted is that it can also be something that you can iterate to nothingness, mm-hmm. right? You could just be iterating for the purpose of iterating and, yeah. and that, you know, once you find a rock that's pretty good, like dig a little deeper, like yeah. go understand more, but like the, the jumping can be something that can, you can never develop any depth unless you commit to sort of once you find something. Exactly. And I think that the disruptors, uh, dilemma, the disruptors funk that they get themselves into is when they find themselves sort of experiencing everything and committed to nothing. When they mm. find themselves with a <laughs> buffet of, ex- of, of experiences and, uh, a, a network that's larger than they could have ever hoped or dreamed for, and yet the depth is completely yeah. missing. They have a thousand wells a foot deep, uh, and, and, and no wells, uh, you know, a thousand feet deep. So um, that's, a, that's an amazing one. No, it's yeah. really interesting. I mean, and again, I'm sort of some ways I'm, uh, you know, guilty as charged in yeah. some senses. And I would I would share from my own experiences the the fact of having everything that you could do. It sort of you don't make it very far. Yeah. It is what like the most magical, happiest places is when I'm like, I want to do this and go as deep as possible. But but I think you're right. It's like a balancing tool to be able to find that thing rapidly, yeah. but then also to be able to, you know, in some ways, like then once you have it, you sort of have to say like, cool, you have to I dig your it. heels in. Yeah. You do. Because and this is, you know, part of the the disruptor's curse is that um 99% of the time their issue, their karma in life will not be that they um will not find what they're good at is that they'll find that they're good at too many things, Ah, you know, and that like this, this sort of curiosity will, will, um, show them that they're capable of so much. And so the trick is not picking one, but Mm -hmm. picking, pick a set, Mm -hmm. like pick a, pick a theme Mm -hmm. and and then go for it. And then if you shift, you change, you pivot, you iterate, that's great. Mm -hmm. But like, know that you did something long enough to say, like, I gave it my all and I, I learned as much as I could. And I think it even, it fits with within even you and your own journey. And I think I always, you you would always describe yourself as very interested in the human mind and psychology and also entrepreneurship and the innovative world. And it's been really interesting to see this. Those are my wells. Those are my deep, deep wells. You're not, you're not picking one to say like, I have to do one or the other. It's that I'm going to go deep on this. And I think it's, it's again, fascinating to observe this, these sorts of elements that you've experienced in some ways, you know, sort of codified in in this, this set. Um, so I want to take you to the next one that I found interesting was about uh, give me your elevator pitch is the mm-hmm. the summary the duality versus fluidity and so let me give you a a uh, a line that I found to be compelling from your your write up and it said uh, it's a commercial and you're the product do you want money a dream job respect you can get it all with a killer elevator pitch but first you must productize yourself no pressure uh, so as the, the in the world of you know sort of personal branding and productizing yourself, uh, you know, what say you of this, of this? Of this elevator pitch. So, I mean, on one hand, thank God for the elevator pitch mm-hmm. because because of the disruptors tendency towards FOMO and curiosity, they, you know, if they weren't forced to cut down their, their pitch, their personal bio, I mean, y- you'd be stuck at the networking event with them, like, you know, right. in a corner for two hours. And this right. Right. <laughs> and you'd just be hearing about every rabbit hole that they've ever jumped into. Um, so the elevator pitch is useful, but where the elevator pitch can get disruptors in trouble is when they define themselves so concretely and, and with the, um, without the foresight that um, they will change, they will learn new strengths. They will, learn that strengths that they thought they had actually aren't their strengths when they're put in new environments that force them to flex different muscles. Hmm. And so um, for me personally, uh, especially having jumped from very logical, rigid <laughs> academia right. to then like, you know, sort of socialite startup to then this kind of hyper-masculine venture capital, I, um, I found that, you know, my elevator pitch kept shifting with each job, but I was kind of getting whiplash Mm -hmm. because I was Mm -hmm. just, um, was changing it based on these aspects that aligned with my current job. And then every time it changed, I was like, who the hell am I? Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, I found a few, uh, tricks that, that at least worked for me in terms of understanding who I am more fundamentally, more fluidly and more thematically rather than more, more, more rigidly. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I, I outlined this in the article, but, 
Um, it's finding your, your themes over your um, aspects, um, finding your archetypes over your job function. So I find archetypes a fascinating way to kind of get to the, the um, core of, of who you are and the things that will never change and the things that you can take with you across jobs rather than um, it has to change every time you change jobs because I think that that's a recipe for an identity. Right, crisis. right. When you're constantly chasing around, you know, who, who am I? Um, and then, you know, the, I think the biggest issue with the elevator pitch, and again, speaking from experiences, when you sort of um, share it around town and it's all over your range list and your LinkedIn and your crunch base and you're here and you're there and you're mm-hmm. blogging, you're, uh, and then you change it. Yeah. Everyone's like, what happened to you? Right. Like, you know, she's having, it's like something, something is, there's a personal implosion happening. And then, uh, you know, you can start to believe the same thing. And so in identifying who you are more fundamentally and creating an elevator pitch around things and aspects and parts of yourself that don't change, um, you kind of give yourself more wiggle room Hmm. for, uh, you know, changing tides. It's interesting. So we, we, with the, the authors, one of the things I learned from over the first, I mean, we're now on sort of our sixth group through the first ones, you know, I just sort of said like, what do you want to write on? And it was this like, I don't know, right? I'm not sure what I want to create. And now I spend four weeks putting them through a series of exercises, really trying to get to that, that why versus what that you're sort of laying out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, what's interesting is that I think the two things that I observed that sort of sound consistent is that it, we, we either hyper genericize it. So we say, I want to be in venture capital, which right. is not really, it's not, doesn't mean anything, right? Like, or, or we sort of, you sort of get so like niche that you don't think yeah. about, you know, this, you think of this, I'm a digital marketing, Facebook, digital marketing, mm-hmm. social media manager, right? Like, so there's this interesting thing about understanding your why that will transcend that yeah. and being willing. And then, and I think it actually fits back into your FOMO piece of when you find that it's easier to commit. Yep. to that something longer, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, well, I could put a year into this because it's not just a, you know, an action. Right? Yes, absolutely. And, and being able to sort of pick, um, uh, uh, you know, identity uh, defining qualities that you can stick with and run with long-term, you know, saying like, I am the, um, the, the priest archetype where I'm just kind of here to inspire and lead at versus I am here to be the, um, the, the yoga teacher or mm. the, uh, you know, venture capitalist. It's, it's a more, um, generous and forgiving way, yeah. I think, to, to define yourself. It's interesting. And I think what, what's, what's compelling about it is I think I have described this as uh, living your life with a compass rather than a map. And so it does require you to pick and say like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go north by northwest, but it also allows you to be flexible and, and move. And I think, yeah. I think back to this, you know, fear of, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to go north by northwest. You should, you have to figure something out. You can always turn around and go back if you need to. But that yeah. process of, I remember in Mark Zuckerberg's commencement address, he said, everyone should find their purpose. You know, everyone should find it, but he didn't give any <laughs> techniques right. to do it. And so I think your, your point is to say, you sort of need to figure out what is that elevator pitch that'll transcend a little bit of time, but don't freak out about making it perfect because yeah. it can change. Yeah. And that's, and one of the other pieces is um, defining your intentions over your goals, because mm. if you sort of publicly, and, and the, not that there's anything wrong with goals, I think goals are great, but especially when you include goals in your elevator pitch saying something like, um, I want to be a psychologist. Well, I may or may not become a psychologist, right, right. but I can say that my intention is to, um, uplift and inspire others through um, understanding their identity and hmm. the core of their self. And that's a more uh, like, <laughs> you know, that's not, not going to happen. Right. Like that's right. just what I, what I'm here to do. Interesting. So, yeah. That's really powerful. The, the uh, intentions over goals is, a, is an interesting, one. I've not heard that, that frame that way. It reminds me a little of the Simon Sinek start with why, you know, that kind of that framework. Um, and I, I think, Again, these are all interrelated, as you you say throughout the article. Like it's one, it's like a squeeze ball. These move together, but I, I do think there's something to that um, fear of choosing mm-hmm. that uh, that makes people either go super super narrow yeah. because they know they can attain it, or they go super super broad because it doesn't mean anything. And that sort of that middle area is where you actually are intentional about it to to make something specific. Yeah, and I think this framework is is good for people who have a little bit of a fear of choosing. I have a 
few friends who are currently using the framework right now to <laughs> their elevator pitches. And I, so far it's going very well. Mm-hmm. That's, great. That's really interesting. Um, so, the, uh, so I want to talk the next one about the, that you title the impression manager and uh, it, it, the, the two ends of the spectrum, as you always lay out in these is um, perfectionism versus vulnerability. And so I want to give a quote from an article and I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, how you see this manifest itself in the, uh, the disruptor creator. The cure for the impression manager's identity crisis is a vulnerability, permission to be exposed in words, thoughts, and actions to create space for gross, awkward, cringeworthy, awesome authenticity. So why is this, why is this something that you saw manifest itself in the, in the creator disruptor that was unique to, to them? Yeah. So, um, the, so impression management is again, basically a job requirement of, of mm-hmm. disruptors. They need to manage their impressions with their employees, with their VCs, with whoever their stakeholders are. Mm-hmm. And, um, this amplifies a, a common tendency in the disruptor, which is perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Um, no secret there, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it can cause it to like, you know, spiral. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, um, the impression manager finds themselves very often in a, uh, in a state of cognitive dissonance mm. where they are um, portraying a reality that is very different from, you know, real life. Mm-hmm. And when you are in this state of, dissonance long enough, it really starts to impact the identity. It starts to impact um, the individual's understanding of their big S self. Mm. And so, um, you know, the the article walks through some steps to start understanding, okay, where are you managing your impression in a way that's not serving you? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing it? And then how can you, how can you resolve it? And so Essentially, what it is is, uh, you know, impression management is is wearing a mask, mm-hmm. and so in um, in exploring how this looked for myself, I found that um, you know I tend to ramp up my impression management skills when I don't feel like the smartest person in the room, mm. when I feel like I'm not the one best suited or best qualified for the job, um, when my credibility is is threatened, essentially. And so the, you know, the kind of mask I don is, is, you know, projecting my own deficits on, on the people around me, which is obviously, I mean, it's terrible for me and it's terrible for everyone right, around right. me. So becoming aware of how I'm managing my impression, why I'm doing it, um, and then, and then what I can do to, um, you know, relieve myself of that cognitive dissonance in the future, um, makes it a lot easier for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you, you know, you talk about the secret weapon being authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I think, how have you seen that play out? Because I think I observed, and, and I'll, I'll tell the quick, one of my favorite Jess Carson stories oh a, a good, in a good way, I think, <laughs> is this concept of authenticity. Because you, you know, you were playing in, as you said, a hyper-masculine hyper sort yeah. of boys club and weren't coming from a lot of those traditional places of... Cigars and all. Cigar, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to tell the story of, <laughs> of, a, of a, you know, the story of Jess that, that I think amplifies this the best is um, we were in Atlanta helping to sort of launch a new market for our, our sort of network venture capital firm. And we sort of co-sponsored this event. And we didn't really have much to do with it. We just sort of spent, sent some money and showed up and walked in and, and you were the only female. Like, I mean, there was like, yeah, shocker, right? But there's, you know, 50 guys and cigars are out and such. And I think my favorite story is that for you, one approach could have been to sort of like amp up like all of your sorts of like masks. But instead, you sort of walked in with yourself. Like, listen, you know, I'm someone who studies humans and that's why I'm here. And uh, let me have a cigar. <laughs> So I, I think, I, but I mean, I think that's really fascinating yeah. is that that was very authentic yeah. and you didn't sort of try and out, uh, you know, out cap table them. Right. You sort of went in with what you knew, which was like your femininity and also your sort of humanity, which is like, I understand people. And so let me talk about what I understand about people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. That was, yeah, that was one of probably our favorite or one of my favorite memories together. Um, but you're so, you're so right. And I think that authenticity and vulnerability, I mean, I know it's a hot topic now, but it really is so, so underrated, Mm -hmm. especially in the disruptor and entrepreneur community. Um, because like, Letting your guard down, I promise. I've, you know, like I've seen it time and time again. It'll get you so much further, so mm-hmm. much faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
I mean, I have found at least in my own life that once I started kind of like letting my own freak flag fly <laughs> liberally, um, things just, you know, get a lot sunnier from there. And what did you find about that? You know, the, you know, it's, it was interesting. I think once you embraced the fact that this psychology element that you bring to the cult of the founder, um, how did you see that change the way that people saw you in even the venture capital space? Because I think there was this sort of moment when you said, you know, I can try and boot myself up with cap tables and, you know, liquidation preferences, or like, I'm going to be own it that I understand people. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really, it, it, it came in like this repeated, you know, to, to use the sort of buzz term, like product market fit, where mm-hmm. like the opportunities kept finding me and that no matter, um, you know, what city we went to, what companies we were working with, uh, what, you know, people I was in a relationship with or, or, or friends that I had, um, there was this like resonance and comfort, I guess that they, they felt, Mm. um, and also this need for an outlet, you know, and that apparently was not be, it was a, it was a need that was not being scratched. Mm. Um, they found that outlet through me. Mm. And so in experiencing this, you know, 25,000 times <laughs> right, over, right. you start to say like, huh. oh my God, I mean, I know there are a lot of coaches and every, you know, you could ha- you have a psychologist or whatever, but um, something's missing. Right. And I think, I think there's an opportunity <laughs> here and that's the, you know, I guess that's the entrepreneur in me. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's an interesting, it's just an interesting thing that, that the, you know, people who, in some ways don't just admit what they don't know and what they do know, they they get so wrapped in what they don't have versus really leaning into their strengths. And I think that's, it ties into some of these other pieces. So it was cigars and all a favorite, favorite, favorite memory of mine. (laughs) Um, All right. I want to talk, I want to go on to the next one that I thought was really interesting about the, about you called the era of the personal brand. We've Mm -hmm. talked a little bit, this sort of ties into impression manager a bit. Um, And the sort of the two extremes are permanence versus experimentation, which I think, um, you know, sort of touches on some elements, but maybe a more specific piece here. Uh, so let me read a quote that, that, I, 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 that resonated with me. Um, An era in which the self must be aligned, easily digestible, and universally consistent across all your digital properties and in-person interactions, your happenings and whereabouts carefully chronicled on blogs, social media, and personal newsletters. You can't even run from your damn self. For better or worse, you're branded. So what do you think about this concept of like personal branding? So, so Sheryl Sandberg sort of takes issue with this idea of we're not brand. She says, find your voice, not your brand. How do you, how do you see this playing out in the tension that sort of the, the disruptor faces? Yeah. Well, similar to the elevator pitch, there is this, um, you know, we, we are our social media accounts, mm-hmm. our blogs, our podcasts. I mean, my God, half of us are running around with like personal newsletters. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And there is this pressure that everything has to be on brand. Mm-hmm. And so to pick a brand, you have to pick a persona. Like, are you going to be the, um, you know, like when I was in venture capital, I felt like, you know, I was donning all black and I was, right. like, you know, my picture was this like right. black and white cross arms, like boss, <laughs> like boss, uh, uh, kind of like, you know, body, um, uh, uh, signaling, um, posture. And, uh, you know, we, we really do sort of adopt these brands based on where we are in our lives instead of viewing our lives as more of this experiment where, um, the, the, the brand doesn't have to be this, like it, it comes with the friend group right. and the wardrobe right. and the, um, vacation destinations and the like that gets us into trouble when we find ourselves in a brand that no longer resonates, no longer fits. Um, and, and, and we feel ourselves wanting to move out of, and this, um, happened recently with a friend who, um, is in, um, hyper-masculine industry as an entrepreneur in a hyper-masculine industry and, um, recently made a post about, uh, um, women power and got a lot of flack for it hmm. from his like primarily male followers mm-hmm. and he was kind of breaking with the brand of the space that he was in by um sharing this more sensitive more emotional uh, uh post and um got a lot of pushback hmm. and uh while, while 
he handled it extremely well. I think that for a lot of um, disruptors, a lot of entrepreneurs, they don't like that right. dissonance and that pushback. Right. And so, um, you know, it's being able to start off a brand that's a little bit more embracing of uh, taboos, of contradictions, mm-hmm. and of and of change. Mm-hmm. And so, um, instead of defining yourself so rigidly, how do you create a brand that is a little bit more holistic and and again um, forgiving of the waves that will come in your life? And how does this? How do you you manifest that self when you see the fact that? Um, we sometimes are beholden to the tyranny of the minority, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's sort of this, you know, maybe it was the vast majority of, of his followers or fans were supportive, but they, they couldn't say anything because the trolls come out and they sort of do that. How, how, do you, how do you see people playing that out where there is this noisy part of the audience that you sort of, it makes the most noise, but may not be the real sentiment? Yeah, I think it goes back to their why. Hmm. And I think... Um, as long as they feel firm in their why, which is why, you know, part of this is is done kind of in a sequential order. Like you have to sort of figure out your why first. Right. He was able to overcome that dissonance and that pushback because he knows that his why is actually to bring us maybe a, a little bit of a softer side to this mm-hmm. masculine space. Mm-hmm. And so um, overcoming that, uh, that, that hit to the personal brand, if you will, um, was an easier blow than someone who is maybe not as secure in their why mm-hmm. and um, can't use that as as a band aid to to fix the ouch hmm. um, when the hits come. It's hmm. interesting. Do you, what do you what do you think about that? Do you think that uh, you know when Cheryl Sandberg says people aren't brands, we can't be packaged that way? Do you mm-hmm. think you know she pushes the voice? Do you think that's realistic, or do you think we are in an era when humans? Are right? I think. I think. If we're not brands, we certainly think and hmm. act like we are. Yeah. Um, or else there wouldn't be so much. We wouldn't feel so much stress and tension every time there was, uh, you know, a shift in our life that required us to adjust our social media. I mean, we we all we all have that friend who underwent the big life change, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like their whole persona changed and and that you know may or may not have caused some you know psychological turbulence for them because that can be really jolting Mm -hmm. to the to the foundation the stability of the self when there's this big shift in how you present yourself to the world Mm -hmm. and so the argument is not you know isn't necessarily that you should not have a brand it's just to create one that is adaptive Mm -hmm. and um flexible and um impermanent Mm -hmm. And I think I think you know, the other thing that you were sort of subtext of this a little bit was that um, you know making the brand something that's sort of spiky so much so that it's like I had this big change here's me look at me look at me versus trying to be a little bit consistent with your voice your brand your message I think is something that um, I, I find people are sometimes very hesitant to use their social media platforms yeah. for good things because they're like well I haven't been talking on social media now it's like talk a little bit, you know, share, open, be authentic. Yeah. And don't be afraid about for the pushback. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I won't lie since I've been, you know, more letting my free flag, fly, <laughs> I, like I've lost some followers mm-hmm. and I gained some followers. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, some of the people who used to like every post don't like every post, mm-hmm. but then a new set of people do. And so, uh, you know, and that's something that definitely took some getting used to is like, this must be wrong. Right. This is not, I right. should, I should lock it down. Be right. the impression manager, like right. personal brand needs to be back on point. Yeah. Like, and, and what could, because clearly this isn't resonating with some, but it just means that, um, you know, you need to find the audience that resonates with your new why or the why that really is your real why. Right. So before I, I want to cover one more of these, but I yeah. want to ask a kind of a, more of a, a question about, you creating something because I think it was interesting to observe. You've been blogging for the last three or four years now, or four years, I think, yeah. on this with Colorful Cortex, and you you made an intentional decision to say I'm going to launch this as a series. Yes. And you know, it is these are not short posts, right? These are not like you know, <laughs> hey, a quick like I you know, three paragraphs. These are these are long and yeah. they're in depth, and you're putting a lot of information out there. Why did you decide this was sort of the place to put down and to come up with this as a series? What what was the how did you approach it to develop something of this substantive depth? You know, it's so funny and I, I do think that most creators can 
empathize and, and, and this will resonate with them. It um, was months and months and months and months and months of being like, I feel like I have something that's like about to be born mm-hmm. and I don't know what it's going to look like, <laughs> right. but like I, I have the pieces, but I have no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. And then it was literally, I mean, all of those posts were written in like five days. <laughs> really? Well, just because it was like, everything was just clicking, 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 yeah. clicking, clicking until it was just like, I mean, I basically blockaded myself into my apartment for, for a week and, and wrote it. And I do think that's just kind of like the nature of the creative process. Yeah. But um, you've been creating the ideas, the concept, the stories, the processes and testing it on yourself and, and others. It was ready to be born. And, and then it's it was like, mom, we're going. Yeah. Like it's time. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very common thing that creators yeah. do is that I think they oftentimes need the, I call it like the get smart phase. They yeah. need to spend more time getting smart and really knowing. And then it's like, okay, this is obvious how it comes together. Yeah. And it was just, um, I mean, you would, you would talk all the time on, um, you know, we're in venture capital that one of the biggest things you look for in the entrepreneur is like, why are they more, you know, likely you know, best position than anyone else mm-hmm. in the world to do this one thing. Mm-hmm. And like, why does their experiences and their background and their education or their network, like, why does it make them the person right. for it? And, you know, as I reflected on my background and the things that set me on fire, and, and a lot of that came is, is, is written about in these articles. Um, uh, it was just so obvious yeah. that like, this is the thing that, you know, when, when friends come to me for help, it's like, they're asking yep. these questions when yep. I'm dating people, we're talking about these <laughs> right. things when right. I'm with entrepreneur, like we're talking about these things. Um, but, but it also came through, um, a lot of, of personal learning and right. hard times of right. my own. And again, when I, why I say I write from a place of knowing I want to, underscore that boldly um, because it was not an easy journey for me. And I went through the, the, the depths of, of funks and um, you know, I'm so glad that I did because now I can share from a place of like, you know, to your, to, to use your word authenticity. Um, And so there is definite meaning to be created out of crisis. Mm -hmm. And I think that entrepreneurs are best positioned to do that. Mm -hmm. And you've, you know, you've, you know, I'd say there's there's this sort of struggle that I think even being, uh, you know, a non-traditional young female in the venture capital industry that I would say is heightened. You know, it, you know, there's a lot of places that are, oh yeah, like you know, it's sort of a boys' club. This is like the data is staggeringly bad, and I think in DC it's perhaps even worse. I don't, I don't, you know, there's not a lot of peers for you to look up to. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, seeing that journey, it was, it was both, you know you know, illuminating and exciting at times, but also isolating. Oh, totally. I mean, and I felt like most of the time I was just like crashing into a wall on my own and <laughs> I had no sounding board and no, um, safety net. Uh, but, but it, like, it's just part of my, and maybe this will be what we talk about next. I'm not sure. Like there is, um, as with many disruptors, a very intense energy in mm-hmm. me that just needed to find its way out. And so mm-hmm. to, for me, there was never, an option of whether or not I would explore and share these things. Right. It's, it's part of my, like, it, it's just part of it's my path. Do. It's, yeah. And it's, uh, you were right. This is what I wanted to explore next is connecting your Wi-Fi. Right. Uh, you, 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 how did you know? Um, so, so you described the sort of extremes as uh, separation and resonance. Yeah. And so I want to read a quote and I thought this was a particularly, so, so first off, your writing is really, you, you're such a great writer that the, the way you write it, it's like, um, you draw people in with very like intoxicating words. Um, so I think you do, this is one of my favorite clips that I pulled out was um, about speaking about these folks. Their energetic potential is intoxicating, which is why disruptors are often desired, followed, mimicked, and idolized. Everyone wants, quote, just five minutes with you. Everyone wants a piece of your magic. But on bad days, the disruptor's potential for positive energy can swing equally strong in the opposite direction. The funk is felt, the negativity is palpable, so the disruptor separates, detaches, and isolates. Mm-hmm. This is a powerful it's one, a right? One. It's a it's real a one. It's a, it's, you know, and oftentimes people will talk about the depression and, yeah. and there's the quote I recall um, that I use a lot about, you know, for those who've never been an entrepreneur, particularly an entrepreneur in like a high-tech 
high growth business, high, high stress area, like where you have employees. Uh, the Elon Musk quote of being an entrepreneur is like standing on the edge of the abyss, staring out and chewing on glass. Yep. Uh, so this is sort of, sort of my favorite. That's what you're describing. That is so, yes, it's so spot on. Um, so this goes back to, and, and in sort of my personal healing journey and process, I learned a lot about energy and um, energy work through yoga, through Reiki, through acupuncture, through meditation, and started putting a lot of the dots together in terms of what I felt around disruptors because I and maybe it's just as, as someone who's very sensitive to energy, I mm-hmm. mean, it, it to me, it's an actual like palpable sensation right. around them, especially when they're in the highest of their highs and the lowest of their lows. And so back to the, the quote that you mentioned in the beginning, you know, entrepreneurs are wired for manifestation. Disruptors are lightning rods of energy that like it takes a special kind of kinetic potential to create something from nothing. Um, and that's literally the job description. And so they have to have a lot of potential energy. And so um, resonance is the idea. And, and it's, it's sort of more fully called limbic resonance that we sync up to the states of other people around us on a physiological level um, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so because the uh, disruptor is so energetically powerful, they are uniquely capable of influencing the emotions, the psychological rhythms, the physiological rhythms of the people they're around. And, you know, if you've ever sat in a room of, you know, furiously working entrepreneurs or like, you know, you've been in that boardroom during the tense, me- like it, you could cut it with a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so the, you know, disruptor often finds himself in this place where some days they can give people the, you know, they're high. They can turn people on. People are following them down the street. They're on, they're captivating. There's a lighter, they're like, they're walking around with a spotlight. Um, and then it's like, just like that, the next day they may find themselves and um, they are affecting people negatively right. in a uniquely deep way. And it can be very confusing for the disruptor because they don't know why this is happening. Right. And because they like to identify with that powerful, potent, good, good, you know, good guy, good mm-hmm. gal, and um, don't know why it can, it can flip so strongly in the opposite direction. And so, you know, the, the exercise in this is to sort of map your resonance and mm-hmm. say, what what are the the the, the qualities the the ways that you're making people feel in those best moments? And so for me, it's um, making people feel inspired, making them feel excited, <coughs> making them feel energized, encouraged. Um, I can also make people feel like they're being judged because I can be you know critical and and I'm always parsing things apart. Right. Um, and and so in mapping this out, you can start to understand how you ideally want to, you know, the the sort of energetic flu you want to give people and and that can be a good flu like you know what are the ways that you want to use your energy responsibly Mm -hmm. like and and this is the caveat is that that entrepreneurs and disruptors and creatives and innovators they really have so much energy which is a unique blessing that they have to be responsible with it Mm -hmm. um you know i touch on it in another article where you know not using this energy properly or appropriately can result in a lot of physical uh uh, issues from Mm. illnesses to you know psychological issues because it's just pent up repressed stored energy um and again that's part of the the sort of energy work and being responsible with your energy um but disruptors can learn how to um rub off, you know, sync with people, uh, uh, for better and, hmm. and not worse. And that's not to say you won't have your bad days, but you just have to know that, um, you know, if you, if you cough, someone else will catch it. So. <laughs> right. Right. It's a, it's an interesting concept. I, I, one of the things I thought was that sort of I'm reminded of talking about that. It just sort of the way that you entirely embrace this is it, the the way you're describing these things is have you seen the show Billions at all? Where yeah, there's with, with so you remind me of sort of this concept around high performing individuals, and they've hired this coach named Wendy Rhodes, who is right. Well, <laughs> you're, you, what you're saying reminds me a lot of that sort of a sort of reflection that 
Um, they're out there, you know, at a hedge fund. This is sort of a Connecticut high performance hedge fund, top hedge fund, Axe Capital, capital. and uh, in a lot of ways, Wendy is helping these people find themselves again. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting concept. How do you see this like element that you're almost doing in, in sort of coaching other people that you see in this? What have you seen the importance of that for for someone in in is the disruptor, the creator, the 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 innovator? Yeah. So first and foremost, it's knowing that um, they're not an island and they're not alone. Right. Um, and so you know, my my first goal. Uh, you know, first intention is always to make people feel like they're not alone mm-hmm. in their in their suffering and their struggles, and that um, you know, second, that um, these funks, the identity crises, the little you know, little meltdowns, the breakdowns that can happen, um, it's part of the journey, and mm-hmm. it can be used for such immense growth, mm-hmm. um, that what was so imminent and pressing for me to share, um, was this idea that the suffering doesn't have to be in vain mm-hmm. and that the creative and, um, manifestation oriented potential of the disruptor makes them uniquely capable <laughs> of really transforming their funk into, into something even better, even mm-hmm. greater, even more like an even even more potent version of themselves. Mm. Um, and so, um, through uh, um, energy work, through uh, self identity work, um, and through some sort of psycho emotional spiritual processes, <laughs> you can really uh, not only lessen the likelihood of kind of finding yourself in a funky place, but if you are there, mm-hmm. which and maybe not all of these resonate with you, maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's all of them. Um, you can, you can get out of it in a very, uh, um, meaningful, efficient and, and impactful way that not only benefits you, but mm-hmm. it's going to benefit your company and it's going to benefit your relationships and, and hopefully carry you through the rest of your life. Yeah, we could sit here for talk for hours, but I know I, you've you've uh, gosh got to go. But the, <laughs> I, I have I have one last question for you, yeah. just that I wanted to dig into like very briefly. Is you've you've lived in this interesting place where you've been both, uh, you know, the 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 deity or the the <laughs> other side of of sort of you know feeling in a relationship with this, as well as now yourself find yourself as the creator and yeah. those things oftentimes. Um, so, what advice would you now give to someone who is that you know they're in a relationship, be it a a romantic relationship or a working relationship with someone that has these elements. What are the things that you would advise, you know, yourself back years ago or even now? Like, what are the things that you tell someone to sort of recognize these things and help that person be the best version of themselves? Yeah, I think that the only thing that we can we can be in life is just mirrors for each other. Hmm. I really do. I really do believe that. Interesting. I don't think that because uh, trust me. Lord knows I tried changing some, <laughs> especially the romantic ones and it, it, it doesn't work. Uh-huh. No, yeah. it just doesn't. So, but what does work is, uh, being a mirror and, um, holding space mm-hmm. and, um, I mean, look, whether it's working in, in a disruptive industry, dating a disruptor, being friends with it, like it's not for everybody. Right. Um, but I think that, um, really helping them um, recognize these these strengths and and even the weaknesses that can become superpowers um, giving them a uh, a stable platform to constantly bring them back home to who they are mm-hmm. I mean that's like how, what's more beautiful than just like constantly being able to be like here I like you may not have <laughs> right. change in your living yeah. pitch and your personal brand is all over the place and you're like FOMO is just absolutely crazy. But like, look, I see you and I know who you are and right. I'm going to keep showing you that until you damn remember it mm-hmm. because yeah. like, I, I, I believe in you. Yeah. And so, um, I think that's yeah, again, the only thing you really can do. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for hanging out. And, oh and again, my gosh, anytime. Colorforcortex.co. <laughs> uh, you can find Jess all over the place. And um, smoking a cigar after. This. That's right, smoking <laughs> a cigar. <laughs> exactly right. And uh, and you do sometimes. Do you do any coaching sometimes periodically? Uh, I do. I yeah. do. So um, people can absolutely find me on uh, on my blog, Colorful Cortex. Mm-hmm. Um, very responsive, also over. 
uh, social media, Instagram, Facebook, the like. I shared this with Jess before we got on. I think that mental wellness, so I don't like the words mental health, mental illness. I think mental wellness is like the next great trend. And, um, you know, I had the privilege of teaching uh, Bill Campbell's daughter, Kate. And uh, I learned a lot just about like how the highest performers think about these elements. And Bill Campbell was an amazing human, but a lot of the things that you may have sort of quantified from psychology and research, he did naturally. And yeah. so not all of us can have a Bill Campbell, but I do think it's important to sort of take that into, into account as we're thinking about our own lives. Well, everyone, <laughs> fun, be disruptive, but be good to yourself. That's awesome. the whole deal. Jess Carson, everyone. Thanks so much for hanging out. <laughs> of course.